So hi, Jackie. I guess it is pronounced correctly because yes. uh, in the pre-show, <laughs> we had a chance, you know, to, to clarify that. And I ask you, we could write Java the same way with the C, right? Exactly. Yeah. So my name is written C-E-K-I. It's the Turkish spelling of my name. And C in Turkish is pronounced J, mm -hmm. uh, like Java. Exactly. So I could write C-A-G. Uh, uh, C A V A, right? Java. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think even in I, no, I, I don't think uh, in in Turkey they write it this way, but they could, uh, of course. They could. Yes. So you are absolutely Java compatible. I'm so uh, for... Java comp compatible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So uh, the most important question today, of course, is what was your first computer? Of course, uh, my first computer is was um, um, it still is. No, I'm joking. <laughs> It was a PCXT uh, with an 8088 processor. Ah, what, like piece of garbage, really. Um, I had similar, similar, uh, <laughs> similar engine. 8080, I think it was 8080. It was also an, uh, an a very old one, but it was tiny. This was the interesting part. I remember, you know, the display was tiny. Everything was tiny. Yeah, and but I remember most were the floppy disks. Uh, mm -hmm. I had uh, three, 360 kilobyte uh, floppy disks, and I remember the pain installing Borland uh, Pascal. Uh, yeah, like, two disk, I remember. I, I don't know if it, I, it, I, I, I remember that it was quite painful. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and for some reason, it didn't work on that PC, so I had to buy an. Uh, uh, 286 machine and it was very expensive and I got a, a summer job to buy it and so on. So yeah, it was quite a quite a thing to install uh, Borland and Pascal. And for some reason, a few years later, they stopped. Uh, they went bust or something. Uh, Borland. Uh huh. So uh, yeah, my whole until. Uh, like a week ago, all my uh, personal computers were uh, Windows PCs. I never worked on uh, Macintosh or Apple. Or actually, at school, I did for, for a very short while. Mm -hmm. And last week, I got a Chromebook, and we're recording this on a Chromebook. Oh, you are too fast. What I wanted to, 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 to know is uh, what you did with your first computer first. So you started to play game or do immediate action, you know, to start to install Turbo Pascal? Uh, I think I wanted to learn uh, MS-DOS initially. I mean, Why? That's, that's my memory. Uh, you were a kid, I guess, I guess, right? No, I was already 18. I mean, okay. For, yeah, okay. comparatively a kid, but uh, still um, for... Uh, yeah, well, we I was 20. We know 20, it doesn't matter, right? So, I mean, two years <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> uh, so, so I was, an, I was at university already. Uh, oh, okay. For, for my first computer. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, Okay, so it didn't cool. make sense. So you had to learn MS DOS or Turbo Pascal, whatever. Um, I you could say it so because well, not not exactly because I start started uh, doing physics at university. Okay. And computers were not you know a must have at the time. Uh -huh. uh, um, I remember the first course I had. Uh, we used the local um, locally produced computer which was called the Smacky, and it had a mouse. And the mouse was invented at the school as well, as, as well as the computer Smacky. 
and the mouse became the uh, became Logitech mouse at the end, or a few a few months or a few years later. You know, the, no kidding. The company Logitech is based on um, EPFL, the school I went to. Where uh, is this school? It's in Lausanne, uh, in mm-hmm. in Switzerland. Uh, okay. In this French speaking mm-hmm. part. Okay. And um, and I remember programming a game, a, a, a board game, uh, where you had to find like missing pieces or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I had so much fun doing that. Uh, I redid it in Turbo Pascal uh, during my spare, spare time. I spent all my time playing on that or making making that mm-hmm. game. So that's how my, my uh, love affair with computers started. But you are too fast because um, you always wanted to have computers. So, you know, because if you got a computer with 18 and you started with MS-DOS, you, in my opinion, you had to be passionate, you know, before that somehow as a kid. So you always, you know, wanted to have computer. What, what why? I mean, because now you say you you enjoyed really to, you know, to, 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 to create the game. This was like you were not aware that you like computers and then you had the chance to get the computer and then it just exploded. Or what was the story behind Listen, it was uh, a long time ago. It was three decades ago, so um, uh, more than three decades ago. And I don't exactly remember. And I, I, I was curious about computers, but uh, I didn't know much about them. And I knew, I was aware that, that everybody was excited about computers, mm-hmm. but... Um, I wasn't passionate about computers, and at what time? At, at one, uh, at an early stage, I remember saying to myself, uh, "You know, these computers—they're really stupid. They suck." And I wanted to throw mine out of the window. At one mm-hmm. point, I remember it was kind of a, and then, and then I said, "Oh, okay, I'll give it another shot." And that mm-hmm. was like thirty-five years ago. So I, I don't really, really remember if I was passionate about computers or not. I was curious about them, and uh, I liked programming. I think that's that's the main thing. I really enjoyed programming. Mm-hmm. So this is why you liked the game, right? Exactly. So it was it gave me something to do. It was kind of a difficult puzzle to solve, a big puzzle, and I really enjoyed it. So that's that's the main thing. And you studied uh, computer science or something different? Physics. I started uh, uh, studying physics, um, and I remember um, um, spending more and more time programming than studying. And fortunately, I, I, I kind of had a lot of baggage, a lot of uh, uh, things to build upon in the first year, and I, you know, I passed uh, by, like. Well, I, it was kind of okay, and and then uh, the second year I had a hard harder time. I had bad grades and really good grades, so it kind of compensated. And then I had the opportunity to switch to network uh, engineering, mm-hmm. telecommunications, and network engineering in my third year, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it was a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and you enjoyed it better or more the network? Uh, yes, engineer. yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because um, it was there was courses about cryptography which I really liked. It, and we had a really good teacher, I must admit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I can mention his name. He, his name was Tyrant Tihon in French. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Very funny name. One of the best teachers I've I had at at uh, at Ipsifto. Um So uh, cryptography. We had courses on um, uh, queuing theory, signal mm-hmm. processing. Really, uh, courses that I quite enjoyed. I must I must mm-hmm. say. Uh, okay. So it's almost like computer science. I did similar it, things, I remember. It mm-hmm. is very similar to computer science, but a bit more varied, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't have that much, uh, like we didn't have compiler um, mm-hmm. okay. uh, courses on compilers or some or interesting, well, I wouldn't say interesting, uh, uh, algorithm searching algorithms, sophisticated searching algorithms that you have in, in uh, computer science courses. Mm-hmm. It was uh, uh, signal processing, uh, cryptography, uh, um, statistics, a lot of statistics, actually. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. guy who invented, um, uh, you know, CDMA, the, the Betterly algorithm, uh, which is used in, on, in, in all the phones right now, CDMA, this, this, uh, this amazing algorithm where you... Uh, um, uh, uh, discover you 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 send a signal on a large large bandwidth and you get it back through a statistical matrix mm-hmm. it was invented uh, by a guy called Vetterly that's the guy who mm-hmm. gave the name and he became the president of our school uh, of, of, of EPFL Hey, uh, your, your school was crazy, you know. The the, the Logitech was uh, started there. They built their own computer. They created an you know, algorithm for CDMA. This was like, you know, this is a better than Silicon Valley. <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to sell this school. I'm no, it's a, it's a, no we well. should sell this school, you know, because <laughs> if there is something in the near, you know, why, why to promote, you know, far things? I mean, there's a Lausanne and in, 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 uh, Switzerland is not far away, but I was not aware that there's a so high-tech school there, right? So. Uh, it's... Quite uh, highly ranked. I don't really follow, but it's yeah. Uh, but most important thing is it was fun for you, you know. So if you enjoy learning, this is the most important thing. Yes, that's that's true. It was it became very competitive. Uh, and I have friends who have now uh, adult children, and they say it's it has become extremely an extremely competitive, bigger school, uh, more competitive. So I don't know if they are enjoying the school. Uh, uh, that much because you know competition has an effect on on fun. Uh, it's less fun, right? If you have to compete. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a good school, and I I quite enjoyed it. I had mm-hmm. a lot of luck, I must say. Yeah, you say that, but what I assume you also enjoy that. So if you enjoy something, you you spend more time with it. You know, you 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 are learning more, and maybe it seems like you no know, luck, but actually it is. Hard work without noticing it. Uh, yes, that's implicit, but I think it was also a lot of luck. <laughs> okay, so I don't, I don't know you actually. So this is just my observation because. So yeah, humble guy. But um, if you, uh, if you, uh, if you, you have to do something. You know, nothing happens just you know out of nothing. So this is what I wanted to say. Yeah. You have to push the luck a little bit. That's yeah, true. exactly. Um, you also learned about routing, TCP/IP stack, the OSI layers. I think, right? This was the main. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And on, on that note, uh, I had um, a, a semester—not not a semester course—a um, a cor- um, 
course projects, I think, mm-hmm. uh, practical uh, projects to do at at uh, at school uh, regarding uh, um, TCP-like uh, protocols. Uh, it's called con- is it called congestion or connection protocols? I, I don't remember the name. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's an official name for that. So these mm-hmm. proto- tra- transport protocols, right? Mm-hmm. Transport protocols and TCP as a protocol. It's one of the simplest one, ones that you can imagine. So you can have the, a protocol imagined by someone who has no schooling at all, uh, no mm-hmm. interest in the subject. So it would be like a ping pong protocol. Mm-hmm. And then like this, after perhaps one hour thinking about the problem, you would, I think most people would invent TCP because it's a very, very simple protocol. Mm-hmm. It's quite it's quite um, primitive, actually, as, as a protocol. And we are still using it <clears throat> uh, 50 years later, and it, it has stayed at its core the same. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, quite, um, quite a marking experience on me because I said, you know, if you spend two hours, you can invent something more sophisticated, but a, a bit more hard to understand. And it would be harder to implement, right? So ease of implementation is a really interesting property. Uh, yes. Uh, and and SLF4J, we'll maybe talk about SLF4J, has this very hard um, uh, position on, on its core uh, implementation. It's the, like the stupidest, stupidest thing that you can do in Java, and that's what SLF4J does. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it has a... A link to to uh, to its success, maybe we we can talk about it later. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you know if you invest two hours more, uh, you can m- make it more complex. So I have to say I spent a considerable amount of time in my projects to make it simple. So uh, you know you write something, then you look at this and say okay uh, it can be simpler. So you try you know to uh, to to in, to to to, to um, use better names. You you try you know to. Either, you know, if you have one method, you know, add additional methods to make it simpler. Or if you have too many methods, you say, okay, this, it doesn't look right. So you try, but this is just, you know, continuous refactoring without adding any functionality. So I would say I was actually in a bank and uh, and the pro- project uh, as a freelancer, I was always work as a freelancer. And the project manager as a consultant uh, told me, since I'm there, they really they have hard time to justify you know the money they are spending because nothing happens. The the uh, the consultants before me they generated lots of code and did you know crazy things and we write a few Java classes and 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 it works. But uh, it you know the, the the amount of classes we are producing is nothing you know comparing what happened before. And I say okay we can generate something you know to make make look it better. But I would say from the maintainability perspective, if you have you know a few things and they are simple and everyone understands, this is actually the uh, the thing we have to to solve, and uh, so I, have to, I would say, um, you know, create simple things takes time, and and even if you create, if you think this way, you create the first one, then you go to sleep next day, you wake up and say, actually, there is better way to do it, right? And and you redo it, and um, and then it, it takes time. This is this is my observation. Of course, I mean, we're, uh, I, I think we are in full agreement, and mm-hmm. and of course. Uh, People asking you to uh, produce more code or more classes, I think that's clearly the wrong incentive, right? So yeah. uh, 
with wrong incentives, you can go very far. You can go into a rabbit hole and you think you're doing the things correctly, but it's, it's all counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And simplicity is generally a good, uh, a good incentive because, you know, I, I, I assume you still don't, you, you don't still work in the same bank. Somebody has replaced you. That person yeah. has to uh, read your code, understand your code, and proposing so, um, having them uh, have a, uh, a simpler life, easier life is is, a, is a, something very worthy. And in time, you know, uh, banking projects last sometimes for two or yeah. three decades, and yeah. you know, simplicity is really it, it pays at the end. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to, to 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 sell, right? This is uh, it's hard to sell to managers because uh, if they see, you know, h- how many classes you produced, and there are lots of classes, oh wow, yeah, you did something. But if you know, uh, if you produce, it really depends because um, in in other projects where uh, you are actually judged by the features or on the overall experience, no one cares. You know, this is more like in more bureaucratic projects where you know they start with the question. Uh, how we measure, you know, how to measure, how to create statistics from your project is okay. This is already beginning from the of, of the end because they will measure, you know, some numbers and they will judge you by the numbers and not actually. No one wants actually to spend time with the software. They they just w- want to have a metric and say good or bad, you know. And this is yeah. But um, I, I yeah I, I it reminds me of the uh, uh, talk you had on on uh, unit tests. That you said that uh, some people wanted the absolutely eighty percent coverage, mm-hmm. and you know, or whatever percentage. And if your the incentive is to have high uh, unit test coverage, uh, you can test silly things, but doesn't bring you uh, added value. Yes, um, and it's again, it's an incentive uh, gone wrong. You, yeah, you have to. Choose the, the right incentives uh, for the project to succeed. So you saw my talk. I listened to uh, s- several of your uh, talks, and I enjoyed them quite a bit. I must say. Oh, thank you. Because uh, have we ever met at conference or somewhere? Uh, it's possible. I used to go uh, to ApacheCon. Uh, okay. In, in Las Vegas, I went uh, twice, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Deepbox as a presenter. Long time ago, two thousand. Okay, then works, Okay, yeah. Okay, um, y- you are right, but uh, with the unit test, because uh, I would say this is actually how you. This would be interesting. You said you know you build the software with Turbo Pascal, right? And you enjoy that. I assume there were new unit tests, but I I would say what what I guess what you did is uh, to minimize errors. You started you know the software several hundred times a day and and watched does it work or or, or doesn't. And this is from unit testing, and then uh, then you save it somewhere if it works, you know, not to make mistakes. If you have uh, um, because it's okay, this is my tag or whatever. This is the released version, and if it doesn't work, almost like a branch, right? So if you look, if you if you really would like to build software, you do the agile way without knowing it, right? So and you will write unit tests. You will do whatever necessary to make the software work. But if you are only interested in the job and you are not interested in building software, so you need a kind of guidance. But this is already, you know, you lose already, I would say, 50% of productivity because you're following rules without knowing why. So this is this is maybe, you know, the passion, your passion is going away if you just, you know, following your rules and you are not knowing why why it happens or what is the reason for it, right? Right. So this is what gets lost. 
uh, I think there are so many ways of uh, forcing projects, software projects, uh, go wrong. You can have, uh, uh, especially in in highly tightly controlled environments uh, like banks. I I've worked in, at several banks as a as a contractor, mm-hmm. uh, and the, um, the the degree of freedom that you're allowed it really varies from uh, bank to bank and in some places the degree of freedom you have is so small mm-hmm. that you can't get anything accomplished and at the end you know independently of the goodwill that you have you realize that you can't get anything done and the only solution is to leave even if you yeah. like your working environment your colleagues you know the salary but it's the the, the the yeah. uh, the environment is so burdensome that um, yeah it's hard to survive and it kills mm-hmm. the, the buzz of uh, uh, the, all the enjoyment that you, you can have at, in your work and that's yeah. um, that's particularly in banks I think it's it, there's a lot of uh, variance but banks are quite uh, bad at this. Yeah, and when the project gets larger or another company takes over, so the, you know the spirit gets lost. So this is this is the problem. But sure, sure. Um, interesting discussion, uh, but um, or we should go back you know, to your school with the network programming. Are you Cisco certified? Absolutely just... not. Oh, okay, I thought you know that is uh, because if you studied you know, the networking back then, you know, this uh, Cisco router certification was uh, a big deal. I would say, uh, I, I assumed you just did it because it's no big deal, you know, you could do this. So, um and uh, at the networking programming course, you still did, uh, I assume, C, right? You had to learn C in one point of time, not just in uh, Pascal. I, one of the earliest languages I uh, learned was C. We had a C programming course. And, of course, uh, like, I think it was the first hour or the second hour we got introduced to um, to pointers. And just my mind just went, <laughs> Yeah. And I remember I had a quite a hard time understanding pointers at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much time I spent, but it was I think several painful hours. And at one point I I got it, and I uh, yeah and yeah uh, once you really get it, it's 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 okay. It's uh, mm-hmm. you 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 go to a, a different level of understanding and it was it was fine i did the link lists and all kind of all kind of stuff that you can only do with pointers right mm-hmm. and um so i did um c c++ i i did a um um a whole cryptographic stack on um, public key cryptography using c++ the rsa algorithm uh, implemented mm-hmm. it um from the from nothing, you know, all the um, what is it called? Um, arithmetic, uh, large number arithmetic. I built mm-hmm. a library for that, and it was it was really really fun. Uh, I remember the the awe that I I felt when implementing division, mm-hmm. and the division algorithm. It's it, if you really think about it, there's kind of magic in it when you 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 um, guess the quotient and there's an algorithm for this um uh, uh presented or in in uh, donald knuth you know the mathematician yeah, yeah. Uh, and 
I still find the, the, the algorithm magical. It's, it's very simple. Everybody knows how to do division, you know, when you go to even at elementary school. And there's still something quite, quite fantastic about it. Uh, uh, so that was my C++ experience. Um, so you read also the book from Björn Strustrup, right? This is, uh, uh, I think so. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I don't remember reading. And, it. and you enjoyed, you know, in, in C the C in, C out, uh, operator overloading and templates or not? Yeah, I no, I think no, no, I think op operator overloading is like, um, it goes count, it's fun, right? Fun, yes, yeah. especially when you do arithmetic, a yeah, large number arithmetic. Yeah. The plus is or the minus or the division is so natural, yeah. right? But <clears throat> uh, there is kind of um, the the effort you spend. So uh, operator overloading, you cannot. You can only have a limited number, uh, uh, an argument on the left, an argument on the right. Yeah. You cannot have a third argument. For example, the memory buffer, mm -hmm. right? So uh, in practice. Uh, you you can't do a large number arbitrarily large number arithmetic using oper operator out, um, overloading if you care about performance. Mm -hmm. So that's one point. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you can it can really be overdone, and yeah, it it gets confusing. It gets hard to understand. And one extreme example of that is the Perl language, where you have all these weird, uh, uh, um, uh, what is it called, like operators and, mm -hmm. and, and things that have, have uh, you have to really know the language to see what it does. And if you stop using it for, for six months and you come back, you can't read your own code. Mm -hmm. And that's also was a formative experience. Um, uh, I did this project called Babel, which was based on mixes. I don't know if you know what mixes are. Mixes are mix in or mixes? Mi mix mix. Uh, it's this machine which takes in uh, emails. Mm -hmm. It it was um, um, something invented by Chaum, a cryptographer. I think he's Belgian. I'm I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it takes messages from many parties, it mixes them, and it spits them out in a, in a different order. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can cascade them, so you can have multiple mixes. And that guarantees anonymity. And it's, it has this wonderful property. If you have three mixes, okay. you have to break all three to discover uh, the, the, um, uh, the people, the, the um, parties talking. Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of kind of an amazing property, right? Usually, uh, it is enough to break one of the um, one of the uh, components to uh, to gain access. In this, in, in mixes, you have to break all components to break the system. And um, so, I did uh, my last school project, master's degree project, uh, was done at IBM Zurich. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in uh, the research lab, IBM's research lab in Zurich. And there um, I implemented a mix system where you could send an email, an anonymous email, and the person receiving the email could reply to it anonymously. Wow. Uh -huh. And 
this actually this was in 1995 or something 96 or something like that mm-hmm. and uh i presented this with my uh thesis professor or, or yeah thesis professor jean sudik uh in san diego and we met by chance uh, a couple of guys from the uh to from the american navy and they implemented tor you know the tor system I wanted to mention that this that this sounds like Tor. Yes. Yeah. So the the name onion routing was mm-hmm. invented where it was the it was um what is it called uh, put forth by Gene Sudik. He said, "Oh, this is like onions. Let's call it yeah. onion routing." Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so I'm quite proud of that. You know that Tor is kind of. Uh, I can't say it was my baby, but like the the, the invention that allowed talking back, that's that's uh, that's my uh, um, master's thesis project. This is uh, crazy. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, what you did, you know, this is even better than some you know uh, startup in Silicon Valley. I would say there's lots of you know lucky uh, lucky accidents, as you tell me, and but. Uh, for me, it's actually interesting, and and as it started with the mixes of the emails, I, I will ask you about Tor because it sounds you know similar to me. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tor is 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 the, the, the so yeah. Chow invented this onion routing in one sense, in one in one direction, and the networking uh, um, uh, experience that I had. I said, okay, so this is like we can actually encapsulate the the routes in a, mm-hmm. the return path mm-hmm. in cryptograph cryptographically and included in the in the outgoing message and this is what uh yeah old onion routing systems do uh, uh mm-hmm. like tor and and so on what was the title of your thesis uh it was uh babel mixing anonymous connection or something like that it's on okay. my uh uh, website. Uh, okay, so yeah. put show notes so for the list. I'll, I'll send you a link. Perfect. And uh, you did it with Java already? No, I did it in Perl. Wow. <laughs> we will cut it out, you know, after all, you know, <laughs> after discussion before and after. Uh, yes, okay. please do, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody should know. Uh, I, I I never did Perl. I wanted to learn it. I actually have even a, I bought a book from O'Reilly. This with the camel, I think. Yes. Yeah. And I wanted to read it, but uh, the problem is uh, I started with C, C++ then Java, and then I got so many projects that there was never time to learn Perl. Uh, I don't think you have missed much. Uh, the, the, I mean, how can I say this? Um, it, it it was bad uh, before, and it really got even worse today with. <laughs> We get lots of comments here, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so, yeah, I have no ill feelings. If, uh, no, it's uh, great. Feel, feel uh, you know, people who love uh, programming in Perl, please continue doing so. I, you know, it's... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but I, yeah. And send a code to Jackie for review, if they... Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the thing is, you write code, you come back to it six months later, and you can't read it. And that's like... Uh, it's a no-no, right? What what surprised me your answer regarding o- operator overloading. So what surprised me is your maturity and uh, pragmatism. I was different. So back then, if I learned C plus plus, 
I just enjoyed, you know, the uh, the see in and see out, you know, just the the data flow and the operators. And I remember I uh, wanted to have an operator overloading for metrics, um, um, for metrics multiplication, for instance. And this was lots of effort, but it was fun because you know, spent for me one weekend or even more to overload the operator, and then one time I could call it right. So this was why, and then and then was the enjoyment on my side. And uh, but it was uh, how to call it. It was not um, necessary, but I enjoy it. So um, I, this is why I, I wanted to learn more. And just you know, like a magic, almost like a DSL, maybe what I really like. I, I want. I wanted to extend the the language because my thinking back then was, um, you know, all the for loops or whatever is just boring. So if we just you know, at if we just replace them with characters, it gets more and more powerful. And this was my thinking. I was a, I was a student. But uh, I really enjoyed C++, I have to admit. And then Java came out, and I was uh, uh, disappointed at the beginning. So um, this is why why I'm curious to know what your road to Java is. Um, so I, I must admit, I also, in, initially, I also li liked uh, operator overloading. Mm -hmm. And I also remember thinking, oh, Java doesn't have operating operator overloading. What a, what a primitive, stupid yeah. language. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... And the more you know, the more you think about it, the more you realize that you don't. It's not that important. And and DSLs, if you're not careful, they're a huge waste of time. I mean, the yes. number of yes. DSLs that you have to deal with, and in per particular, I must uh, admit that there's the the logback uh, DSL and the mm. log4j DSL, and that I'm responsible for. I apologize to all the part parties that have been uh, wounded by, by those DSLs. And I realized that, I mean, if you're not careful, you can go on a path which which is wasteful and it w wastes other people's time. And yeah, um, one one example is Scala. I don't know if you have uh, programmed yeah. in Scala. In Scala, the, the, um, you can do a lot with, uh, uh, with, with the types. Yeah, yeah. And it, it can go, I mean, you can go really crazy with the type of stuff. <laughs> I can tell you my story to Scala. First, I wanted just to learn Scala because I assumed one, uh, I do a lot of application servers and JMS and whatever. And uh, as, as, as Scala, the, the first mention of Scala was Martin Oderski at the JAX conference, I think. I have even talked well, with also him. Also from EPFL, by the way. Oh, this is crazy! What, what? Uh, this is you know. I have to visit the location there. This is like you know. This is like <laughs> the mecca of of software engineering. Yeah, but, ugly buildings, I must say. There's nothing to see. It's not like uh, these American uh, universities where you have beautiful gardens. It's almost like a golf course. No, it's not like that. It's just really ugly buildings. Uh, they don't look like anything interesting. Then uh, they're quite ugly, I must say. Okay, so <laughs> still, at one time we have to, right? But uh, and I chatted with Martin, uh, Martin Oderski back then, and <clears throat> what I what I um, expected is that my Java E and JMS won't scale, and I will have to use Scala for that. And so, okay, if this is the case, I will learn a bit Scala to be prepared, you know, if you no, know, my, my ideas go south. So I have a plan, plan B. So I started to write tests with Scala. And uh, what was really terrible is the compiler performance. So I would say I was too impatient. So I cannot stand that. So I was okay. So, but um, regardless, it is going to be faster one, one day. And what I did then is I, I was curious. So I started to click, you know, on, this, on, the, on the library classes in Scala. 
and they yes. couldn't understand anything. So I took a look at the code, like, what's going on there? And I said, okay, I will ask, you know, uh, these color gurus at the next conference. So I, I, I came back to the conference and asked them, say, yeah, you are not supposed to read that. You know, you are the application developer, not the library developer. Oh, wow. And I said, okay, yeah, but I mean, this is not how, I, how I'm working because usually I would like, you know, in Java, if I click on something, I understand it. So this is my way. If I'm too lazy, you know, to look at Java doc and string, I click on the string and I see what's going on a little bit and they read the Java doc. And this is my way of understanding Java. Sure, sure. And, um, and back then, this was the official like statement that Scala is perfect because they're like a library developers and application. This was not like, you know, it was not like a, uh, bad answer. The, the, the answer was nice. This was back then, you know, the idea uh, how it is supposed to be. But I lost a little bit interest. And 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 by the way, it happened a lot. We mentioned Perl. Then people ask me why I'm not using Jython. Then Groovy. Then uh, Scala, of course. Closure. And now Kotlin. And 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 I have no time to you know to learn other languages because I had so so much you know requests in Java. And uh, whatever they asked me five years ago is no more uh, JRuby, huge, you know, why I'm doing Java, Ruby on Rails, you know, will, mm -hmm. uh, will, will win. And, and the funny story is Java is doing fine over the years. So this is what really surprised me. And um, yeah, at least, you know, in our area. I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting point. Um, but but um, I must say that we're coming, I mean, from a kind of, um, uh, how can I call it, from a philosophical point of view, Mm -hmm. Is you know it's better to stick with things which are which are tried and true, uh, like mm -hmm. you know Java is used by millions of people. They have I must say the stewardship by uh, by Sun and now Oracle. Um, they they're doing quite quite an amazing job uh, yes. evolving the language, mm -hmm. and it's it's a very hard job I think. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but this doesn't mean that uh, you know, because the Scala experience wasn't wasn't so uh, conclusive, uh, the Groovy experience wasn't so con conclusive. This doesn't mean that Kot Kotlin will also fail, right? Mm -hmm. Or fail yeah. is a very strong term. Or uh, it, it, Kotlin might be a huge success. I don't know Kotlin. I've mm -hmm. I've, I've seen a couple of talks about it, but I don't, haven't tried it myself. But uh, they seem to stick to a more um, pragmatic uh, point of uh, view or pr pragmatic uh, philosophy, and it might be different, you know. Yeah, w what I did, I performed lots of code reviews, and some were also Kotlin projects. Okay. And I took a look at the code, and I said, okay, um, and it's a little bit nicer, but with Java 17, it's not that verse, you know. From my perspective, if okay. you would like to be better, you have to be better more than 10%. Otherwise, it's not worth. And uh, another thing, what I also uh, uh thinking, so Java is the lowest common denominator if you have JVM. Yes. No one will ask you why you're running Java if you have JVM. If you use something different in, in commercial project, I would say at least you have to answer the question why you are doing this, because there has to be a reason. So if you have JVM, why are you not running Java on that JVM? And uh, in larger projects, so back then, Groovy, I like Groovy a lot. The problem is if I, in project, would uh, would say, okay, let's do Groovy, guaranteed, another person in the team will ask me, 
why not Scala? It's type safe. And then you're opening the you know the Pandora box and everyone will discuss just languages and we forget about the use cases. Mm -hmm. So for me, stick with Java is actually the trick. We we don't discuss that because we have the JVM. What what I would do, this was my plan actually. If Jeff, if, if Java goes south, I will pick you know complete different st stack without JVM. Uh Ruby or Rust to do, or Swift to do completely different. Why I should patch Java, you know? I mean, we have already Java, and if it's good enough, uh, maybe, you know, Kotlin. I think Kotlin is very popular because also of Android, right? So this is no, if I would right. go to Android, I will use Kotlin no, because this is the language for Android. So, and if I go, would do Apple, I would try to pick Swift first. And Rust is an uh, interesting language as well. So I would say, if I would not satisfy anymore with Java, I would try to pick you know, something which doesn't run on JVM anymore. Because uh, even if you use Maven, for instance, always you know you have the Java dependency, then you have the Kotlin language dependency in Maven. And um, and I have to say, uh, I'm really fine with Java 17. And if uh, looking what's coming, you know, Java 19, 20 with Loom and all mm -hmm. what the Oracle uh, people are doing, and all the destructuring with Java records classes, this is amazing. If this come out, it's almost like a JavaScript, which is type safe, without any external dependency. This is what I like. You know, I have just one Java doc, one language. I don't care about ever, anything else, and then I'm productive. Because not only I'm productive in project, I say, look, we just use Java. So this is the Java doc. This is the way to do it. And uh, and what really developers are still amazed how much you can achieve with Java without any external dependencies. For instance, today, today I performed a code review. They used IOUtils uh, to string, which, which is a strange name, but what to string does, it uh, expects an input stream and converts an input string to string, right? Okay. And I say, okay, but what do you have? Files, read string, ships with Java. So we don't need the Jakarta Commons, you know, oh, IOUtils. Right. You can use from Java the same. Say, oh, yeah, this is, we didn't knew that. So like you say, the only thing is, before you look at external dependencies, you know, take a look at Java because uh, we we have things and uh, and and the cool story is Java moves slowly. So if you learn Java, you have more vacations. You know, you don't you don't have to chase <laughs> external things, right? So this is this was my thinking, but uh, I don't like I, I like Kotlin actually. They are, they are great ideas, but um, I would use Kotlin in my leisure projects and in larger project. I try to be cautious. What are the rules in the project? You know, I just try to stick with the standard. So this is. I I I agree uh, completely. I mean, that's a very strong arg argument. Uh, sticking with the standards, stand, um, sticking with what is uh, tried and true. Um, and I remember, and to 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 counter argument, mm -hmm. I remember a friend of mine in two thousand and three or four. Uh, said, you know, I was working on already on Log4j, Log4j version one, mm -hmm. and he said, "Look, uh, 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 Sun just uh, came out with uh, Java Util logging in JDK mm -hmm. 4, uh, 1.4." Mm -hmm. He said, "Look, you know, your your project is doomed. There is no mm -hmm. future in Log4j." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Well, yeah, maybe. Who knows? I'm, you know, um, maybe you're right." Uh, but um, and of course, uh, you know, there's a log4j has a very long history. It, it gave birth to SLF4j, then to logback, and then log4j one, uh, log4j version two. Um, and 
I don't know if you're aware of this, SLA4J is the most deployed artifact in the Java ecosystem today. It's, they knew that. You, you knew that? No. Ah, you no. didn't. Okay. Um, I mean, the number of downloads uh, <clears throat> on Maven Central, it's like the numbers are absolutely and, crazy. And not J- Jakarta Commons Blank or uh, not for is blank, you know, the string is blank, is, is not blank, is is like the, still the hit. <laughs> um, I, I, okay, maybe the Jakarta Commons is a, because in Jakarta Commons you have like 30 projects, right? Ah, I'm okay. talking about SLA4J API uh, as, mm-hmm. a, as a single ar- ar- artifact. Maybe it's not the most uh, widely deployed. Maybe it's the second. I mean, it's it, what I'm trying to say is it's it's quite uh, um, popular. It's, yeah, that's it's, what I imagine. It's, yeah, it's, a it's very everywhere. Popular. SL4J is everywhere. And uh, I also use it a lot with uh, Payara and Glassfish because it's the way to separate the Glassfish logs from application logs. So, All right. Uh, Okay. Yeah, this was this is what uh, I also used, but I would say we should cover log4j and sl4j completely in a, another episode. Oh, and what be, okay. because and what I would like to know today, you know, is the tour. This is actually that we have you know a complete cycle. You wrote to Java, and then uh, I can also tell you something with uh, log4j and how I met you virtually uh, years ago. So, um. You said with the Tor, right? This was your thesis, and you and you did it with Perl. What happens afterwards? Interesting. Um, what happened? So this was at IBM, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did my master's thesis. The, the The semester project you could do either at school or you could, if you could find um, a company, an enterprise willing to take you in, uh, you could do it at, at, the, at, the, at the, in a company. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did because one of my professors was an al- alumni of this research lab and he recommended me. And so I went to Zurich for six months. And actually, the reason I went, I, I, one of the reasons was that the, 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 um, the, uh, the salary as a student was quite mm-hmm. high. It was okay. like 3,500 francs. It was like, wow, you know, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a rich. I'm going to study and, and be rich. <laughs> So I, I, I think I, I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure that one of that was the reason, but I, I, it was quite, um, yeah. quite pleasant to have yeah. a salary and work at the same time on something that you actually enjoy. Um, and the, the, at the end, I made a demo of this project mm-hmm. and the IBM people were quite hesitant because anonymity, which is actually really strong anonymity which even governments cannot yeah. uh, crack i mean y- you have to be you can control all the telecoms in your country but if the packet leaves your country go somewhere else it even if it comes back uh, you still not crack the uh, you can still not trace the uh, mm-hmm. the source or the destination uh, that's that's something that i my suspicion is that it scared uh, it scared people mm-hmm. at, at IBM. Uh, I mean, nobody told me of you know uh, point blank. Oh, we are scared of this project where it might lead. It, it wasn't like that, but uh, but that was my uh, my feeling that they were wary about this uh, about this technology. And and you know, um, it's easily understandable. You can. If you can, if you have really strong anonymity, it allows uh, for 
uh, criminal enterprises. You can do um, um, what is it called? Um, uh, blackmailing, mm -hmm. uh, all sorts of evil, evil things. But you can also use it for uh, for good. Of course, if you're in, living in a tyrannical uh, society, a police state, uh, it's um, it's a way of to communicate with the outside uh, mm -hmm. without being traced. Mm -hmm. well, that's the theory, because in, in reality, for example, Tor, uh, the uh, entry and exit points, they're mm -hmm. not so many. They're just a few thousand. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's like 3,000 or 10,000, mm -hmm. but it's a limited list. And if you, there's a government with very strong surveillance, surveillance uh, mm -hmm. powers, they can still see um who if you're talking to a um, uh tor node mm -hmm. and they can say no what are you doing using tor mm -hmm. uh, and they can knock on your door and do bad things to you so anonymity does not guarantee uh that your society will be free in a in a police state but in a free society it makes it harder to become a police state. I, I don't think you see the yeah. difference. Yeah. Uh, for example, in a free country, a lot of laws that are restricting, uh, for example, in, in Switzerland, we have this law where you cannot, uh, you cannot use casino sites which are not authorized by the government, mm -hmm. right? And there's whole the, all the telecoms. I believe I, I, maybe I'm I'm not hundred uh, percent precise about what I'm saying, but the telecoms in Switzerland are they have to obey the law. And the mm -hmm. so if you're not if you go you connect to a casino which is not authorized by uh, government and does not pay taxes, mm -hmm. they can block you. Mm -hmm. But of course you can circumvent that quite easily with using mm -hmm. Tor or VPN or whatever. Because Switzerland is not a police state, but um, but uh, one day uh, the government could say you are not allowed to use VPN, and we know all the VPNs in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we know all the entry points for Tor, and yeah, it's 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 game over. So mm -hmm. it's there's always this this um, um, uh, this uh, tension between. Freedom and the states and, and Tor is quite an interesting uh, um, incarnation of that. Yeah, I can imagine what IBM thought, right? Because if it's really that uh, private, then they will have, by law in US, maybe, you know, to provide a backdoor, something. And if you provide a backdoor in a private communication, it's no more private. So it is uh, really hard, you know, to have a backdoor for someone and keep, uh, you know, the private for everyone else. What I also remember... There was from Cisco a flow management solution who was able to de how to call it to uh, to make a uh, uh, tor less private. It was a couple of years ago, so they 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 were able to track the packets. So maybe you do the research, and the next time we t can talk about this, maybe interesting to you. I just remember, like I think it was from Cisco software, and, and something was no no flow flow analysis of the tor package sure, and sure, sure. They, they were able now to track them uh, to to track them back yes, a little statistically, bit statistically you can do statistical yeah, yeah of exactly. course of course yeah, that, exactly. that's my thesis actually oh, okay uh, <laughs> yeah that, I, I, I tried to do that uh, so i put in place the system then i said oh, oh okay. so, but what's the next uh, step and of course 
it's uh, traffic analysis and yeah, traffic and, exactly. And I tried to put in, in in place a model, and since I'm not that good in math, I'm I'm okay, but I'm not really brilliant. It kind of I broke my teeth trying trying to modelize that, and uh, it didn't go anywhere. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, one thing that I can say is uh, all these um, uh, like Tor the the uh, it's very; they are very vulnerable to um, to nodes which which pretend to uh, to participate, but who who are actually um, in a denial of uh, participating in a denial of service attack. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy. You can, as a Tor node, you just drop packets, mm -hmm. and it's hard to track, mm -hmm. right? Because everything is is anonymous and untraceable, yeah. but uh, you can disrupt. Communication for all the nodes that or all the communication that go through your node mm -hmm. as an attacker, as a denial mm -hmm. of service attacker, and that's uh, quite a hard problem. And Tor, they have these honeypots, I believe. They mm -hmm. like they send, they, they test the circuit, and if the circuit breaks, they go to a different alternate route, and they can isolate uh, nodes which are. Um, Basically, which which pertain to an attack. Mm -hmm. So what did what did it tell you? Uh, the health check. I said there should be a, like a health check. So yeah, you ask another yeah, note or something like or synthetic transaction. You go to the note and say, okay, give me back, and if you get the response, uh, you are fine, right? Right. Cool. Yes. And okay, so then was it semi-successful? What what happened with your you know thesis or nothing? And then nothing. nothing okay. Happened. Nothing. Okay. So it was just shell. And this is this is a problem in in all these research um, labs, right? You have really brilliant people. I, I must say, the, the people I work with, I've rarely met uh, people of the same caliber. Uh, well, I've met people of great caliber, but the, the concentration there was quite amazing. And I should say, uh, the log4j, the the the, uh, the algorithm. To um, um, to propagate levels uh, mm -hmm. in a tree in a name tree that wasn't my idea. It, it's an idea we came up with uh, with colleagues, three three colleagues mm -hmm. who were doing their PhD. We got together and we thought about this problem for maybe an hour, and and we came up with this with this idea. And I thought I don't think it was me who came with the idea. It was a colleague called Michael Steiner, I believe, okay. who came up with this. And it was like you know once. It's stated, and you understand it. It's like, wow, this is the mm -hmm. way to go, and it took the world by storm, right? Everybody today uses the same, uh, mm -hmm. the same system. Uh, what is the from Perl to Java? What happened that you started to do Java? Was it something in between? No, it was basically IBM decided that they would uh, adopt Java as a, as a programming language in their projects. It was mm -hmm. highly encour encouraged. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, basically, I never had the choice. They said, "Oh, Java, look, look, this is the language we are using now." And I looked at it; it was fine. I, I liked it, uh, except the o operating overloading, of course, which was and, missing. And missing. I was like, wow. <laughs> what I didn't like as well that there were I didn't like the interfaces. I preferred the C plus plus include uh, header files. So there was, uh, for me, it was cleaner than interface in Java. You know, in C plus plus there was the H header, which you had to include. Yes, of course. And in Java, the interface. And I say, okay, the header is somehow 
I, I forgot what was the reason. I really preferred the header at the beginning. And um, yeah, now, of course, it's fine. But you have macros uh, in, in C and C++. Yes. Right? And some people might, I mean, macros give you a lot of power. I remember missing the power of macros. And today... No, not only macros, generics. Oh, yes. So, yeah, in C++, I remember the generics were Turing complete. This was our own language, right? So you could actually... This is what I missed. I, 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 macros I did a bit, but I couldn't understand them, I think, back then. But generics, I was actually yes. really into generics because uh, you could do more sure. than Java with the C++ generics. Of course. And, and the header files. I really like the header files because... Why I like them? Because you had... They were linked and they were separate, but Java interface are also separate. I don't know. But um, this is the operator overloading. Generics we were not at all in Java. It was too early. Back then, I started with JDK 1.0. And um, yeah. Uh, what was your first project with Java? You remember this? Uh, I think it was uh, Log4j. And you started it because... Okay, so why you started this? Because we had this, uh, this European-funded research project called uh, Semper. Um, okay. And uh, we were trying to um, implement a device for a secure device for signing transactions. Okay. And this was for IBM, right? This was for IBM and a bunch of other companies which were uh, connected to the project, uh, but mainly IBM, yes. There were universities, at several universities uh, doing cryptography. And at one point, uh, so we, it was a Java project, and we said, oh, there is no logging library in Java, so let's write one. And so we came together, and Michael Steiner said, oh, you know, let's, how, how about this uh, tree of uh, loggers that inherit uh, a level, and you can do filtering? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was, it was such a great idea. I, I implemented it. It was incorporated into the project, and everybody loved it immediately mm -hmm. uh, so you know i got lots of uh, congratulations this is really great you know the rest of the project doesn't work so well but the logging is just fantastic <laughs> <laughs> logging is fantastic and i said oh, okay there's there's something you know people like this this is mm -hmm. this is valuable yeah okay so i think we, we should stop here so just a cliffhanger sure. how i met you virtually uh, I think in one point of time, you published a PDF book as a business. Yes. And I bought this book and I really appreciated that you have can have a startup, you know, to, to sell you no know, PDF books. And I really wanted to use the Log4j uh, in my projects, but uh, this is a different story. But this is actually how, how I remember your name. Uh, and uh, you were on Java.net back then, and you say, okay, this is my business. I'm selling the documentation, as I remember. I said, okay, then I buy it, and I bought the book, and I was amazed that actually someone can sell books. Um, this was a long time before, so I don't know. It was maybe 2002, two, three, I assume, right? Something uh, like this? Two, four or five, yes. Yeah, maybe something like this. Okay. Yeah. This is how we met, you know. Um, right. How we had a business relation already. Right. Um, where people can find, you know, uh, Kuo qos.ch is your company, right? Yes, that's correct. And on Twitter or somewhere? Where it, you uh, know, give, at, give... at CEKI, Twitter, mm -hmm. and uh, my email is CEKI at qos.ch. Cool, perfect. It was really, I really appreciate the conversation. Lots of fun to me. So, and we never met, but it was nice, you know, to no, the old days. Very nice talking to you as well. It was fun. Yes, absolutely. <laughs>